Well, good morning, Golden Corner Church, and good morning to those of you who are visiting with us. I want to share a sermon with you today that I have not given a title to, and uh, however, it does come from the Bible. It's going to come from the New Testament book of John, chapter 4, verse 1 through 27, and in just a minute, we're going to read a few verses together, but before we do, may I just kind of set the stage as to what is happening. Uh, We're talking about a time in Jesus' ministry where he's beginning to experience incredible success. His following is growing exponentially. And the religious leaders of the day are aware of this. And Jesus is aware that they're aware of this. And so I believe that he's anticipating a confrontation with them, the religious leaders. And in an effort to kind of postpone that confrontation, Jesus made a decision that he was going to leave the community where he was ministering, Judea, the region, I guess I should say, and he's going to go north into the region of Galilee. Now, the Bible tells us something about the journey he's about to make, and I want us to look at it together in John chapter 4, verse number 4. The Bible says he, speaking of Jesus, had to go. You see that? Had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, what is Samaria? Samaria is just a a region. It happened to be a region sandwiched in between Judea to the south and Galilee to the north. It was stuck right in the middle of them. And the Bible said Jesus had to go through Samaria to get to Galilee. Now, why was that? Did every route... You know, from Judea to Galilee, lead through Samaria. Did every route from Galilee down to Judea, did it all lead through Samaria? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, when Jews would travel from Judea to Galilee, they would take every pain. They they would go out of their way. I guess you could say they would go the extra mile to go around Samaria. Why was that? The Jews despised the Samaritans. They looked on them as kind of the lowest form of human life. They did not want to associate with them in any way, so they would bypass Samaria at all cost. But the Bible says, Jesus said, it's going to be different with me. I've got to go through there. Now, why did he have to go through there? I think in just a moment, we're all going to see very clearly why he was compelled to go through Samaria. So they took a long walk. He and his men took a long, tiring walk. And as they, as they made progress, his route became more clearly defined. He not only had to go to Samaria, he had to go to a specific village in Samaria, the village of Sychar. Now, he not only had to go to Sychar... He had to go to a very specific location just outside the city limits, a well that was located at Sychar. And he couldn't just arrive at any time. He had to arrive on this particular day at noon. And so the Bible says he made it to Samaria, made it to Sychar, made it to the well, made it right at noon. And he sat down wearily beside the well. Now, since it was lunchtime, his guys decided, I guess the best thing we could do is go into town 
and uh, buy lunch. And so all of his disciples walk away, and in my mind, I picture as they were walking out of sight, there's a woman who comes walking into his field of view. And she's carrying a water jar on her head. And she comes to the well at noon to draw water. Now you may be asking, was that typical behavior? Uh, yes and no. It was, it was typical uh, for the woman of the house to be the one who would go to the well to draw the water. That was typical. But it was not typical that she would go at noon. Uh, most of the time they would go in the cool of the day, morning or evening. As a matter of fact, when they would gather there, it became kind of like a social event. And as they were drawing their water, they would talk and kind of catch up on the events of the day and share things about their family. And, and so it wasn't typical for her to be there at the noon hour. Then why was she there? I'm going to tell you just speculating. This is what I think. I think she, for one of two reasons, chose to go at noon and not when all the other ladies were going because she wanted to avoid them. I think she wanted to avoid them. But I also could have been another reason. Maybe they had already ostracized her. And they made it so uncomfortable that she, I guess those two really kind of go hand in hand. And I think she's there at noon to avoid all them. Now why would she want to avoid them? Why would they possibly ostracize her? Well, I think there's evidence in the text that we're talking about an exceedingly immoral woman. That's what I think we're talking about here. I think she had a dark past. I don't think she was living a very honorable lifestyle. And so, you know, she was coming to the well at an unusual time. So she gets there. And Jesus said to her, uh, Ma'am, would you give me a drink of water? She's shocked. She even expressed her shock to Jesus. And she said, uh, how is it that you, being a Jew, would speak to me, knowing that I'm a Samaritan, and a Samaritan woman at that? Because you Jews don't have anything to do with us Samaritans. How does Jesus respond to her? I want you to look in verse number 10. The Bible said, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you. Oh, man. And who you're speaking to. You would ask me. And I would give you living water. But if there's a lot packed in that verse. You know what Jesus is saying? Did you get it? He, he's disclosing to her that really he's there on a divine mission. If you knew the gift God has for you. And who I am. I'm his son. And why, he, why I'm here. I came looking for you. And here's why. I got an incredible, extraordinary gift God sent me to offer you. Why, if you knew that, you'd ask me and I'd give you living water. What was this water he's talking about? Living water. It was a phrase used to describe salvation. And all that salvation entails. It's a gift. It's, It's an elaborate gift. It's a lavish gift. It includes forgiveness of sins. 
It includes reconciliation with God and therefore a real relationship with Him. It includes a full life on this earth. Certainly a better life than she had and a better life she could ever build on her own. And it included eternal life in this outstanding place called heaven. And Jesus said, if you knew who I was, if you knew why I was here, if you knew what I offered, you'd ask me and I'd give it to you. How do you think she responded? Uh, a little bit of sarcasm. She said, uh, well, I know enough to know this well's deep. Huh? She'd drawn water there plenty. I know enough to know this well's deep. And I can see that you don't have a bucket. <laughs> and you ain't got no rope. So how do you propose getting water out of that well? And then she said this. She said, and furthermore, who exactly do you think you are? You think you're better than my ancestors? And you can provide better water for me than they have provided for us all these generations. How did Jesus respond to that? Look at verse number 13. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks the water, this water will soon become thirsty again. In other words, it will satisfy for a little bit. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again, ever. Because it's going to do something. For you and in you. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them. Giving them eternal life. You know what he's saying here? I'm not talking about this water. I'm not talking about this. This water satisfies briefly. And then you'll be thirsty again. What I can give you will satisfy you permanently. It'll satisfy your craving. You know how she responds? I want that. You know why she wanted it? She's very clear. If you, if you give me a drink of water that satisfies my thirst permanently, I don't have to come back to this stinking well in the heat of the day. This is a chore. I can mark off my list. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about these gossiping women anymore. I don't have to worry about them looking down their nose at me. There's so much that this would, this would cure. So I'll tell you what, give me that water. Jesus said, okay, go get your husband. She said, don't have one. He said, you spoke the truth. He said, as a matter of fact, you've had five. You've been married five times and every marriage ended in divorce. And you're currently living with a man you're not married to. Now here's this total stranger telling her things about her that uh, he shouldn't have known. Now, she's pretty sharp cookie in some ways, and she picked up on the fact that the only way he could have done this is God has to be in the equation here somewhere. And so she said, sir, I perceive you to be a prophet. In other words, you're the kind of guy that God shows things to. You're the kind of guy that God tells things, and there's only one way you could have known that about me. God has shown you this, or, or God has told you this about me, and then, you know, I, this is my... Typical experience, when somebody discovers that they're speaking with a preacher for the first time, they typically change whatever subject matter we were talking about, and they want to move to the subject of religion. She said, sir, I perceive you to be a prophet. God's obviously working in your life, and i got a couple of questions for you. Why do you Jews only worship in Jerusalem? And why is it we Samaritans feel like we got to go to Mount Gerizim? What has that got to do with anything? Huh? I think she was so uncomfortable talking about herself and her past and her current 
situation. She's just trying to get this, get the conversation or anything else. You know what Jesus said to her? He said, dear woman, there's a time coming. And he said, no, 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 no. The time is here. When we won't have to worry about being here or there to worship God. You're not going to have to go down to a temple somewhere to worship God because the time is now that you're going to become the temple. Because God is a spirit and he's going to be... I'm just kind of giving you the Hodge translation on this one. It's kind of tough to explain. He's saying, listen, God is a spirit and he's going to be living in you, which means that whenever he reveals some truth to you about himself, you're going to be so moved to worship, you're going to be able to worship anywhere you want, anytime you want. You know what she said? And she's wondering about this dude. She said, uh, I know the Messiah's coming. The Christ, the promised one, the one that we've all been, I know he's coming. And when he comes, he'll ferret through all of this for us. And he's going to explain it so all of us know the truth. Now you've got to picture this next scene in your mind. Just picture them standing there eye to eye. And Jesus says to her, he dropped, I mean, he dropped a bomb on her. He said, I am the Messiah. I'm, I'm the Christ. I'm the one all the prophecies are pointing to. I'm the one you've all been waiting on. I'm here. Now, about that time, the disciples show up. When you know it, they come walking in, they got bags from Taco Bell, Chick-fil-A, you know, they, they, they've done what they came to do. They see him talking to a woman. Now, the Bible says they saw them talking, but whatever they were talking about, this dialogue is not recorded in the Bible. I think I know what they were discussing. I think in this unrecorded dialogue, this lady is asking Jesus for the gift. And I think she was saved right there next to that well. You say, now why do you think that? Well, later on, he, the disciples, they had questions. The Bible said, but they didn't have the nerve to ask any questions. Like, what was that all about? So Jesus just volunteered it. He said, guys, here's the deal. I came here today because it was the will of God. God chose to do something in that woman's life. I came here to do his work, and then he explained what the work was. He said, God's work is to bring people to eternal life. It was an object lesson for them. And he's making a point that, that, that what God has given all of us to do, you, me, all of us, his work is to bring people to eternal life, just like I just brought that woman to eternal life. Now, let's stop right there. Let's answer three questions. Question number one, what do we learn about Jesus? Question number two, what do we learn about life? Question number three, in light of what we've learned, what should we do? So question number one, what do we learn about Jesus? I think there's a whole host of things here we could learn. There's one thing that kind of stood out to me that I feel like I need to share with you. And I feel like I learned this. Jesus is looking for people no one else is looking for. You say, Ronnie, what do you mean by that? Uh, Another way to put it would be this. Jesus saves the most unlikely By now, you've got it figured out. This woman was the reason Jesus had to go through Samaria. She was his mission. God had chosen to make this woman an offer of this 
fantastic gift, and he sent Jesus there to back to offer the gift. That's it. Jesus came to this town because he was looking for her. Now, if word had leaked the night before these events into Sychar, that God himself has chosen to bestow this lavish, elaborate gift upon one of the citizens of our fair town. And so tomorrow he's sending his own son here to identify that person and offer them the gift. And speculation had arisen and people were trying to guess, who do you think it is? How many people do you think would have made this guess? I bet you God has chosen, Jesus is coming, to offer that woman that's been divorced five times that's living with that man that great gift. Think about who made that guess? Absolutely not. You know why? Her community saw her as the lowest of the low. She was the outcast among the outcast. Of all the citizens, based on her past and based on her lifestyle, she had to be the most undeserving, therefore the most unlikely person that that God would have chosen that Jesus would be coming to seek out. Yet, Jesus came looking for her. I know you may think this is some random instance of this, but actually, this is just a revelation of the ways of God and His Son. Let me read you a passage of Scripture from the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 29. I'm going to try to read it. Paul's writing to a church full of people just like us, and he said this. He said, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes, Or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And He chose things that are powerless to to shame those who are powerful. God chose things, you 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 could put the word people in there, people despised by the world. You know, people counted as nothing at all and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. This is what he, the point he's making is this. Jesus saves the most unlikely people. And why would he do that? He explains it in verse 29. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God and say, I was deserving. Jesus is looking for people no one else is looking for. And as a result of that, here's what I feel like we need to do. We need to thank him. I'm going to say something about you, and I don't want to hurt your feelings. But I'm going to guess by now, and I'm speaking to those of you who know that you're saved. You know that you've invited Christ in your life. I'm going to say something. If you haven't figured this out by now, I'm going to help you with it, okay? Uh, You figured out you you didn't deserve to be saved. And I bet you you've got this figured out. There's nothing you could have ever done to become deserving of being saved. I bet you a lot of you readily identify with this woman. And in your little peer group, in your little circle, in your community, you might have been numbered as the lowest among the low. Maybe you were the outcast among the outcast. Maybe you were the hopeless case. I know I was. I was saved on January the 21st, 1979. If word had leaked into my little community of Salem where I lived, if word had leaked that God in heaven has chosen someone in our town, And he's sending his son 
into our community tomorrow. And his son is going to identify this person and offer them an elaborate gift. And speculation had risen and people tried to guess who it was. I want to promise you this. Nobody would have guessed. That's got to be Ronnie Hodge. That's got to be him. I promise you, Tony, you know, Tony and I were in high school together. (laughs) Equally wanted by the law in several states, I guess. And I promise you there were never meetings where church people came together and said, you know, we need, a, we need a shot of new life in our church. We need some new members, and we need some people who would be good for our church that could step in here and be a blessing. I promise you that if there was a meeting, nobody ever said, hey, I know a guy we ought to go after. Why don't we go after Ronnie Hodge? <laughs> Here's what I know. I'm talking to some people cut from the same cloth as me. There's only one explanation for why you're saved today, and that is Jesus came looking for you when nobody else was looking for you. So here's what I'm recommending. I'm recommending that we thank him. How about that? Now, I just finished a series here entitled, Don't Just Do Something, Sit There. And we learned that there are times in our life, times in our week, where God doesn't want us to do anything but just sit with him and visit for a while. And some of you committed to do that, and some of you recommitted to do that. But here's what I know. We're standing on the eve of the busiest season of our year. And I know us, I know that when we get busy, typically speaking, the first thing to go are those visits with God. We let them go. I want to encourage you to do something, okay? Don't try to celebrate Christ by neglecting Christ this year, okay? Don't try to celebrate Him by neglecting Him and doing, making time for anything and everything else. Here's what I want you to do. Keep those visits going. And this week... I want you to stop and think. I want you to look back over the course of your life, the footsteps that you've left, and I want you to think about something. Where would you be if he had not taken the initiative to come looking for you? Where would you be? If he had not given you this wonderful gift of salvation, what would you be missing out on? Because when you answer those questions, you will humbly go to your knees and you will thank him that he came and he sought you and he saved you. Question two, what do we learn about life? Uh, This is what I learned. Everybody's looking for something. Everybody's looking for something. And everything we're looking for can be found in Jesus. Why would Jesus bring up this woman's past? Her past, why would he do that? Why would he point out, you know, her current situation to her? Did he just want to make her feel ashamed? Did he just want to elevate her level of guilt? No. I believe he was making a point, and the point was this. Ma'am, you've been looking for something for a long, long, long time that you've yet to find. I believe the reference to the relationships was trying to make that point to her. I, I can almost hear him say, honey, I know that when you met that first husband and you married him, I'm sure there was some happiness and some contentment. and You felt like at last I found it, but it was fleeting happiness and the emptiness came back. So you know what you did? You moved on to the next one. And I'm sure when you met him and you married him, there was that momentary contentment and you thought, at last I found it, but that happiness was fleeting. The emptiness came back and you moved on to the next one. He's making a point to her. Honey, you've been looking for something that you have yet to find. And I know he was making this point. What you've been looking for, I got. Nothing you've tried. Nothing you've tried. 
has brought lasting satisfaction. So you know what he's saying? Give me a shot. Take what I'm offering. And let's see what happens. I said, I think I got what you're looking for. At some point in every one of our lives, we came to the realization that something's missing. Something down in here is missing. And we really believe that if we could ever find it, that we would, we would be happy at last. And so we launched the search. We felt like if we could just get accepted at the right school, if we could get a degree from the right school, maintain an appropriate or acceptable GPA, if we could leave the school and, and land the right job or succeed in the right career, if we could you know, meet the right person, have the right marriage, have the right kids, if we could live in the right house in the right neighborhood and drive the right car, we're going to be happy. And sometimes that, that, that search led us into the dark, shadowy, sinful places. And we thought, you know, if we could abuse alcohol or prescription drugs or use illegal drugs or engage in some illicit sexual behavior, that's it. It's going to make me happy. You know what happens? You found some happiness, but it didn't last. The next thing you knew, there was a gnawing emptiness again. And you know what we do? We just move to the next thing. And we move to the next thing. We move to the next thing. Truth is, nothing satisfies permanently but Jesus. He is what we're all really looking for. Some of you came in here today and this is your thought, oh, if I just had some way to close the door on a past that haunts me. Jesus. If there was just some way I could start all over again with no strikes against me. Jesus. I'd love to have someone in my world that I knew would never leave me nor forsake me for any reason. Jesus. If I just had a life full of meaning and purpose so that when I come to my days I can see that I made a difference. Jesus. I'm telling you everything you're looking for is in Him. So in light of that what do we do? I'm going to suggest that you receive him. I got to let you in on something. Okay? Uh, what's going on here this morning is not happening by chance. It's not coincidental that you're here while I'm talking about this. It's a setup. We didn't, we didn't make any arrangements. You say, what are you talking about? Same thing happening here. It was happening at the well with this woman. You were just coming to church. Some of you came to get somebody off your back. Some of you came because it was just time. Some of you came. It was just the right thing to do. You didn't understand that you were going to have an encounter with Jesus this morning. I want you to know something, guys. I'm not a nut, but I know this. Jesus is in his house. He's here. He is here. He's here for you. I know he's here for you. He has chosen to offer you a gift that is of immeasurable value. And he sent his son into this room today to make you that offer. 
of forgiveness, a relationship with God, a full life on this earth, and eternity in heaven. Here's what I'm asking. Why don't you call off the search? Why don't you take the gift that he offers? It's ironic. What do I have to do to be saved? To receive this gift of salvation? What do I have to do? You got to want it. I don't know how to explain it. You got to want it. I want to promise you I'm not going to try to force feed anything on anybody in this room. We're not about to do 37 standards of just as I am as I tell you tear-filled stories about my grandmother's bony fingers in hopes that I can break your heart and get you to make some kind of decision. Man, if you don't want it, I can't help you. You've got to want it. You've got to come to the point in your life where you see very clearly that's exactly what I need. And knowing that's what I need, that's what I want. Now, if it's what you want, we can go to town with that, okay? If you want it badly enough that you're willing to turn your life over to him. It's called repentance. That you'd say, okay, I don't know how well I've done with my life up to this point. Doing things my way. But God, here's the deal. I'm going to give you the rest of it. And I'm going to do my best to do it your way. Do you want it bad enough to do that? Well, I did. I got to that point. Do you want it badly enough that you'd be willing to trust your eternity with a person named Jesus and trust that everything he did was done on the cross through his death and resurrection for your forgiveness and salvation? That you're not, you don't have to try to make anything happen. You're going to rely on him and what he's done, and that is it. Are you willing to do that? You want it badly enough that you're willing to depend on him and, and him alone? If that's the case, I'll tell you what, you're right there. You know what it takes? Once you're there, you want it that bad. You're willing to do that. You know what it takes? You articulating that in a very simple and sincere prayer. That's it. So I'm going to ask you something. Do you want to be saved? I know there's somebody here. Boy, there's a gracious hand extended to you and a gift that God is wanting to give to you. Do you, do you want to be saved? At this point, I'm asking everybody to bow their heads together and everyone close their eyes. And all I'm doing is creating a private setting in a public place. I want you to go ahead and set your mind at ease. I want you to know that I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. I'm not asking that you, nobody's going to be asked to stand up, come forward, say anything. I'm not asking you to join this church or make some kind of financial commitment to this church. I want you to understand, if you are ready to be saved, you're the person I'm talking to right now. If you're ready to be saved, just in the privacy of your own mind and in your own heart, why don't you pray a prayer that goes something like this. God, I want what you're offering. I recognize very clearly my need, and God, I've come to this place in my life. It's what I want. God, I'm sad about things that I've done. I certainly want you to forgive me. And I'm turning my life over to you. I'll do my best to do what you want me to do. I need your help. God, I believe that when Jesus died on that cross, it was for me. 
fully trusting him for forgiveness and for salvation. Will you save me now? You prayed that prayer from the depths of your heart with all sincerity. I promise you that God just saved you. You say, Ronnie, how can you know it's that simple? What did Jesus tell the woman at the well? If you would ask, I would give. It's that simple. You prayed that prayer. You've been forgiven. You've been reconciled with God. And you're at a point of new beginning. You understand this is not the end of the road. This is the beginning of a new road. If I could give you any personal advice, it would be this. If you ask Christ in your heart today, I'd make a commitment to a church. I'd make a commitment to a Bible-believing church, a Bible-teaching church that was filled up with people just like me who would help me go on and live the Christian life. I want to ask you to do something that's completely optional. Don't feel obligated. If, you, if, if you're uncomfortable with this, I don't want you to do it. But if you just prayed that prayer with me and you don't mind me knowing, matter of fact, you may want me to know, would you just lift up your right hand real high for just a second? Just lift your hand real high. Anybody? Yes. Yes. Anybody? You can put your hand down. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. I want to say something to the rest of you. I want you to look at me. Everybody, look at me. I'm talking to a lot of people this morning I know who have accepted this gift and you've been saved. And I, I wouldn't ask you this. I wouldn't ask you to do this if I didn't feel so compelled. And if you don't feel compelled, you don't have to do this. But I just got a feeling this morning I'm talking to some people who may feel a heightened sense of appreciation for what God has done in your life. Man, you've recognized something about His grace this morning. Maybe you hadn't thought about it in a long, long time. And you're thankful for the fact that He came looking for you. Nobody else was looking, but He came looking. You know, it might be just a fitting time for us to just slide out of our seat, come around His altar and get on a bended knee and humbly say, thank you. If you're physically unable to do that or you're just uncomfortable with that, I don't want you to do it, but I'm talking to some of you that really feel the need to do that right now. And if that's you, why don't you come just gather around this altar right quick. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving. So why don't you come? it's hard for us humans to kind of know where to begin here. It's so hard for us to fathom grace. Lord, we know that you choosing to save us was an act of grace, that you sending your son after us, act of grace, you saving us, act of grace. And so just as humbly and sincerely as we know how, we're just going to try to say thank you. 
Thank you. God, if you had not come looking for us, I don't know where we'd be. But you did. And we're so grateful. I pray that as we leave here today, that there just be a sense of appreciation and joy that follows us in the building all the way through the holiday season. And that our holiday will be centered around Jesus. Our joy will come from Jesus. That there'll be something about this season that's been different. Just a tangible sense of your presence in our lives. We're so undeserving. Yet, God, we are saved. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.